0: I'm David Breer, CEO here at 11FS, and welcome to FinTech Insider Insights. Today we are talking all about AI, so we thought we'd ask ChatGPT to write the intro for this episode. Here's what happened. Welcome, Money Mavens and Fintech Enthusiasts. Strong Start to another riveting episode of Fintech Insider Insights. I think to call your own episode riveting is probably a, a little bit, you know much, isn't it? But anyway, I'm your host David Breer, and today we'll be delving into the transformative influence of artificial intelligence, specifically chat GPT on the dynamic realms of finance and Fintech. That's exciting. I like that, actually. Imagine a world where financial transactions, market analysis, and customer interactions are powered by a virtual assistant that understands the nuances of banking, investment, and economic trends. That world is becoming a reality thanks to the game-changing capabilities of ChatGPT. It's starting to feel like an advert for ChatGPT at this stage, isn't it? Uh, In this episode, we will explore how ChatGPT did again. is reshaping the landscape of finance, from providing personalized financial advice to streamlining customer support in banking institutions. This AI marvel, like, it's weird, actually. It's referring to itself in the third person, isn't it? Which is kind of interesting. Is proving to be a disruptive force, challenging traditional approaches and opening up new frontiers in the fintech space. But it's not all about algorithms and market predictions. We'll also discuss the ethical considerations surrounding the use of AI in finance. How does ChatGPT navigate the delicate balance between efficiency and privacy? And what safeguards are actually put in place to prevent biases that could impact financial decision-making? To shed light on these questions and more, we're joined by some distinguished experts, that's you guys, in the finance and technology space. Together, we'll explore the potential and pitfalls of integrating ChatGPT into the financial sector and much, much more. Uh, I mean, that wasn't too bad, was it? I'll be honest. It, it did. Um, it did feel like when, like I say, when somebody talks about themselves in the third person uh, uh, quite a lot, it was uh, a little bit of creepier at times, wasn't it? But um, we'll let, we'll let it pass. We'll let it pass. Anyway, to have this discussion with me, I'm joined by an excellent panel of guests. It's back to me now. ChatGPT's not writing this bit, just so you know. Uh, to have a, a great discussion. Firstly, I am delighted to welcome Enock Mole, who is the Founder of Morantix. Founder and residence at Morantix. Yes. There you go. Good stuff. Tell us a little bit more about Morantix. What do you guys do other than uh, uh, other than what I'm learning now? Yes. Um, great introduction, by the way. I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, again, I, I felt like um, Money Mavens. I'm not sure that's. A, I'm not sure that's a Twitter handle that's going to catch on, but uh, we'll see if it sticks.
1: <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah. No, Morantix is one of the leading AI ecosystems in Europe. Um, we're based out of a campus in Berlin, where we incubate and invest in AI for startups for the last six years. As a founder in residence, I am part of the Venture Studio where they incubate uh, about three to four AI startups a year. Um, And I'm currently building an AI fintech venture in the post-trading space in stealth mode. So it's very exciting, lots of stuff happening. Um, And I think, yeah, especially this week, lots of stuff happening in this space, but we've been around for six years.
0: So. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it, that sounds like more than about four full-time jobs. So, like, uh, you must be you must be rather busy, but we'll unpack that as the uh, as the podcast goes on. But uh, uh, it's also a, a big FinTech Insider hello to Chase Disher, who
2: is the head of product at public.com. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks so much for having us on. No worries at all. So, my name is Chase. I'm head of product at public.com. And uh, I own the core app UX, growth, and AI products, in particular, Alpha, which is public.com's AI tool. Very, very cool. For for anybody who doesn't know public.com, do you want to give a a a little bit of a background? Of course. Uh, So quick background on public. Um, We're an investment platform for stocks, ETFs, crypto, treasuries, and alternative assets. We recently have launched in the UK uh, to offer US stocks uh, with commission-free trading and low FX fees. Very, very cool. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming
0: on. Uh, We're also joined by Kate Jansen, who is the lead product manager over at Clio. Uh, Kate, Cleo, you guys have been on the show a bunch of times, but for anybody who doesn't know Clio and is living under a bit of a rock because you guys are crushing it, then uh, tell us a little bit more.
2: Thanks,
3: David. Very kind of you and uh, great to be back on the show. Yes. Uh, so I'm the lead product manager for ML um, at Chatter, Clio, as you mentioned. And Cleo is an AI assistant for personal finance. I am particularly working on building the products that have machine learning and AI at the core. And some of the products that we're working on in that area are some personalized products to really understand customers' uh, financial situations, um, and then to help predict future financial difficulties, such that we can help coach people to potentially avoid uh, things such as costly fees, uh, to help them create better spending habits, um, and ultimately to uh, improve their overall financial health.
0: Very, very cool. Uh, I guess like, I mean, it's a funny one, because if we said about this show being about chat GPT, I mean, we could basically talk for about five hours, just about the last 72 hours, couldn't we, in terms of all the weird ones. The weird thing is, we were meant to record this Two days ago. And if we did do it two days ago, it'd probably be completely different in terms of the things we'd be talking about. But hey, that is the lovely and exciting world that we live in, isn't it? The rapidly evolving landscape of these things. And actually, I mean, rapidly evolving is probably a very good way to describe actually everything that's happening in the the AI space more broadly uh, particularly with the applicability to financial services but but maybe if we start in this part of the podcast to look back of the last year of chat gpt because the the rise has been uh, meteoric, hasn't it, in terms of the the impact of it. Uh, and more generally, the, the impact, not just in financial services, but broad, more broadly in terms of where people are going. But I mean, it's fair to say, though, that AI isn't really something new, right? You know, actually, it's not something that people should be like, oh, my God, it's like sci-fi. It's like, actually, you know, the way in which we've been using AI has sort of evolved very rapidly, but it's been around for a, quite a while. I, I know, maybe starting with you. I mean, is this just, you know, new, new, or is this something that's been building up over a long period of time?
1: I think it's been building up for a long period of time. It's just the difference is now it's become conversational. So before it was powering a lot of these back end structures of like multiple applications. You just don't see it as a consumer. So with ChatGPT, I think that conversation very much shifted to where you all of a sudden engage with an AI. And that's very different. So I think the core technology, yes, has been... Growing and like evolving at rocket speed over the last couple of years, but the technology or what it can do itself, it's been around for a while, just the engagement is different.
0: Yeah. Is it the reality of the interface interfaces caught up with the sci-fi promises to a certain degree? You know, actually, uh, we were all pretty heavily burned by using Siri in those early days, weren't we? But actually, the the reality of actually the, the speed in which the interactions with things like ChatGPT, I mean, maybe sticking with ChatGPT then, I mean, Kate, what is For anybody who's listening to this, who has lived under a rock for the last 18 months of their lives, they're just coming to you after a crazy sort of uh comatose whatever uh chat gpt what is it and what is it doing
3: yeah absolutely so i'm going to take you through kind of a series of terms to understand where on earth chat gpt came into the picture but you can think of uh, what ChatGPT really is is um a uh, AI model that comes from a family of models called large language models. And all of those uh, large language models, they fall under a umbrella term uh, in AI called generative AI. Um, So what these large language models can do and other models that fall under generative AI is create new forms of content. Large language models, um, as per the name, are able to create context uh, that is in the form of text. Um, So that's what ChatGPT is able to do. It is able to create textual content. Um, And the way that humans interact with this um, is through something called a prompt. And what was excellent uh, on OpenAI's part uh, was to make the interface with uh, one of their large language models. Uh, They've used a couple behind ChatGPT, particularly GPT-4. They created a very, very simple user interface such that people could really easily uh, interact with this AI model. And as per Nuke's point, that really is uh, just as much of an epic kind of breakthrough as as the technology. So all of a sudden, people were able to interact with AIs like never before. And importantly, in their own language, and second, most importantly, in a way that is very natural for humans, which is a conversational interface. And so what we have is a a generative model sitting in the background that's able to create new forms of text um, really in any way that you ask it to. And that's why you can get poems in the style of Shakespeare or rap lyrics in the form of who, you know, just the style of Shakespeare as well, potentially. And uh, that's what uh, ChatGPT is. The chat uh, in front of the term GPT really refers to the fact that this uh, model has been trained uh, for conversational applications. Uh, And the GPT stands for generative pre-trained transformer. Uh, And that's really referring to kind of the model architecture and the background and the fact that it is a a generative model.
0: Has the Rise of it been due to the ability for people to actually interact with it. I mean, we're, you know, the the discussions around artificial intelligence and the potential of, you know, IBM's Watson and you know integrating blah blah. Like, cool, but like normal people can't integrate with it, right? So uh, it's always the forgetting that somebody has to care at the end of it, right? hundred and eighty million users in the first year chase like
2: that on anybody's metrics that ain't doing too badly, is it? That is, it's super impressive. Um, I think really the key aspect that they nailed is the approachability of the new technology, right? I think the power of AI has been talked about for a long, long time. And, you know, even GPT 3.5 was released, I think in May 2020, you know, two and a half years before ChatGPT was introduced. So that technology in and of itself existed already, but people were able to actually like approach it in whatever way that they felt comfortable. And you know the world was a oyster, and being able to go in, type in some sort of prompt uh, and getting back an answer was obviously like a super powerful thing for everyone to be able to experience. And so, yeah, the growth has been phenomenal and really impressive.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's the evolution of of a you know a common metaphor, which is usually a better way of creating adoption, isn't it? You know, actually everybody knows how to use search, but actually this is about a, a very different approach to making that old tried and tested sort of paradigm working in a completely different way, isn't it? So uh, it definitely helps my son uh, plagiarize uh, more effectively as well in terms of uh, his homework this weekend. But uh, uh, but it's uh, an, an interesting one in terms of that adoption because obviously these types of models work really effectively in terms of the, the loops around those things as well. And having 180 million users, you're probably going to be learning a thing or two about your product pretty effectively, right? Oh, 100%.
2: Also, AI used to be a black box in the past, right? You, you know, you saw the term popping up here and there, et cetera. And so everyone being able to come in with their own use cases, right? I think the really cool thing about AI is we're all, and w- where chat GPT really accelerated growth was people understanding how many more use cases it was available to them for, right? Like before, it was a very finite set of use cases that probably most businesses were interested in. But for your average consumer, it was hard to really grasp in a tangible way. And I think... ChatGPT has really, really opened the expansive use cases available to people. It's really turned, you know, the innovation engine in a lot of people's minds, which is a really, really cool thing to be a part of.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's funny, isn't it? It's bizarre how many times the adoption of new technology is usually facilitated through the speed of mobile data connectivity. But, but bizarrely, I mean, the amount of users that you see, I mean, on public transportation, you know, I saw a couple of people on the train on the way and using it for various different things. And it's like, it is amazing that actually... The on-ramp to technology, you know, technology can be insanely sophisticated, but if the on-ramp for users to gain access to it is simple, then, you know, actually it sort of uh, overcomes many barriers, doesn't it? So, I mean, Anouk, do you think it's a, uh, is the world just a little bit more ready for this type of technology now, given all of the other advancements that we've seen and the changes that we've we've seen as well? Because, I mean, this isn't just like, you know, the, the, the geeks in the basement type thing. This is like... 180 million people, this is a lot of people, right?
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think the world is definitely ready. I think it helped a lot also on the B2B side because I'm more on the backend side than the consumer-facing, sort of, especially in the AI and fintech. You see now big corporates jumping on the bandwagon too because they don't want to miss out. They don't want to miss out on any value that AI can create on the backend. And obviously there are different gradations as to where you can integrate and how far, how far you can go, um, especially in finance, if you go into core banking systems and risk engines, it would be a great breeding ground for AI, but we're just not there yet because that's also heavily regulated. And I think what Chase mentioned before, the black box principle is quite tricky there, especially for regulators to understand. So that's why I think tools like JetGPT, more on the, the low-hanging fruit side, so to speak. So on the consumer-facing side, the directional side, the side of finance that is less regulated, is a lot easier to adopt. But I'm hoping in the next two years that this will be sort of the pivotal breaking point to push for more adoption in sort of the actual core systems of a lot of these big financial firms. And we're seeing that slowly. On our end, we're getting a lot of inbound regress from big organizations to ask, how do we deal with this? What do we do? <laughs> Where do we go? So a lot of questions to be answered still, but yeah, definitely on the big scale of things, it's, it's moving fast.
0: Do you, um, uh, and this is more of an open question to all of you guys, because actually, I mean, it's uh, an interesting one when you start seeing big organizations move on things like that. I mean, if I was kind of back in my Gartner days, there's this sort of uh, different sort of periods of this evolutionary step, isn't it? And at the moment, everybody's you know, furiously trying to understand it, you know, and actually in a very similar sense that we saw with crypto, the very similar sense that we saw with DLT more broadly. You know, every technology has that period where everybody's like, oh my God, like this is going to change the world. Uh, This really does seem to be having that scale of impact though, and and actually capturing not only people's uh, attention, but their, their wallets in terms of the big organizations are actually doing things, you know? Do, do you think though, back to the point earlier on and and maybe starting with you, Anuk. Do you, do you think this is because people have got quite comfortable with actually algorithms in financial services doing things more important? As in, you know, your whole risk model is based on your processes, the algorithms that actually will follow a certain steps and tell you how risky these things are. Do you think as an industry who has spent a lot of time on things like you know rpa and that they've got quite comfortable with actually the technology doing more of the things that actually people used to do
1: i don't think so unfortunately i think that there's i was this living whole... a lie
0: wasn't i sorry uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> i think no um because especially the 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 conversation around the decision making of AI and automating that, that's a really tricky one. And I think that's where you see a very big difference between popular debate and what's going on sort of at the back end of these organizations. A lot of people are very afraid of AI taking wrong decisions. And honestly, AI will take wrong decisions because every human takes wrong decisions. We can just make those wrong decisions less impactful because we hopefully can statistically make sure that it makes less wrong decisions. But at least it's measurable. And I think that's where there's a different assessment being made between a a man and a machine. A machine has to be piled up to the highest standards, whereas a man or a person, you don't have visibility on how they actually perform. So I think as a middle step, we don't see complete automation with AI. It's more AI will empower the person to make better decision-making on the back end, especially in large Companies. So that's in specifically risk and KYC, KYB, but I don't think that will be automated in the next two years. I'll be very happy if it would, but I think reality wise, I don't think we're there yet.
0: Yeah, I sort of, uh, I always joke for the sci-fi fans, it's uh, its Universal Soldier, not the Terminator, right? You know, it's uh, its the aided people rather than replacing people in that sense. But uh, maybe, Chase, trying that from a, a slightly different angle then, I mean, do you think then the mainstream adoption of this is actually forcing big organizations to stand up and listen, maybe? Because actually, when your kid's coming home and, you know, Hey, dad, what's this? Actually, it's making people at really senior levels in really big organizations have to learn quicker than it would do uh, you know, the change that we saw around crypto, for example.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I think one of the one of the aspects to consider too is like what is generative AI good at? And right now it's good at content creation and data summarization/slash synthesis, right? And so um, you know, at public, we are leaning into the research aspect a little bit of. Of AI, right? Like how we know that it's good at content creation, and so how can we take a lot of this, you know, financial data, you know, talking earnings calls, news, and market trends, and summarize that in a way that's maybe more approachable to your average, to your average user, right? I think leaning into some of its strengths uh, is something that you can do, and and an important way to do that in a safer manner is by controlling the data that it's able to access. Right. And so I think where, you know, for instance, I think JP Morgan originally banned ChatGPT from or uh, one of the companies, they banned ChatGPT from from being used from their uh, from their employees. But that was because, you know, there's a whole landscape of information and you can't always control correctly, whereas we are actually servicing the exact data that is going to be fed into alpha. And we can we can have data governance and compliance considerations that and checks that we were putting in to ensure you know a, a safe and um, productive interaction with different users. And so kind of what I'm getting at is I think it depends on the actual use cases, right? I think on the flip side, you've seen some companies that have, Started to try to use it for trading, you know, automated trading or thinking about trading suggestions, etc. And that's not something that Alpha is going to do, obviously. But for companies that are doing it internally and trying to try it out, it hasn't always worked that well in the beginning, and it's something that they're continuing to iterate on. But it's something they have to try. But one thing they've found out is that humans are inherently emotional, right, and or irrational. And so those, you know, even if your tool may make perfect decisions. Uh, it may not actually play out in the markets in the short or medium term, as you would expect. And so that's something you have to manage. And as companies are deciding how to invest in this kind of information, they are managing that risk themselves, et cetera.
0: Sure. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. I mean, if uh, the world was inherently... Logic based. uh, What a boring place it would be, right? In terms of all of those things that went there, but uh, but yeah, being able to try and predict those more effectively than other people is kind of the game to a certain degree, isn't it? But uh, it's an interesting one that uh, you bring up there around the the sort of tailoring of the interfaces and the breaking down of concepts into. I mean, I, I sort of loosely joked about my. Uh, 11 year old plagiarizing on the internet over the weekend. But actually, it was just some basic homework about actually understanding uh, the impact of fair trade around the world. And he had to write a thing. And actually, I said, well, use, you know, use this in order to get an understanding of it. Because actually, if you go to any website and get it to explain to you fair trade, it's doing it at a level that 11 year old will switch off about four seconds into that first sentence, you know. So actually, that's the power of this, isn't it? But I guess with the financial services context on that, Kate, you know, the, the world of financial services is actually kind of set up, I'll be honest with you, I think most FIs or regulators set it up in a way that makes them feel impressive and feel smart because they're using lots of acronyms that nobody really understands. But actually, if you can create an an interface that can actually allow people to be spoken to how they want to be spoken to in terms of either your comprehension of financial terms or your, uh, you know, whatever background that you want to kind of preference it to. I mean, that's that's an amazing amazing leap forward in in the way in which we interact within you know the interface with any organization isn't it
3: yeah absolutely and i think that with the rise of digital products uh, over the last say 20 years or so uh there has, has been a, a massive industry around kind of user interface user interaction design that's grown with it and i think that cannot be underestimated. And I've, um, from in my experience, having built a couple of zero to one products or with machine learning or AI at the core in multiple industries, if you do not present that to your user in a way that is usable, it will not be something that anybody uses. So technology for the sake of technology is not going to actually drive user adoption. And I think that the, the ChatGPT is an example of this It's just so key because the actual model that sits behind ChatGPT has been around, not forever, a, good, a couple of years, but it was really the interface that allowed for that. And I think uh, that cannot be underestimated, even if you have an excellent model in the back end that can predict everything you need to predict. If you can't easily access it or interface with it, people will not use it. And so when you're thinking about building digital products, you have to think about that. From a financial perspective and, and what you mentioned um, with your son, I think that there is a a key consumer trend that ai really enables and and potentially even created which is that of hyper personalization people want to interact with digital products and that could be a digital financial product or something else in a way that feels personalized to them and the question the question can be you know do people expect that or does technology actually create that and if you think about the digital product experiences that you have in your day to day whether it's kind of content streaming or like your favorite music app My experience looks very different to your experience, and that is becoming the expected experience between customers. Now, anybody building a digital product, definitely in financial services, needs to bake in a level of personalization. And AI and machine learning really enabled that, probably with the advent of recommendation systems in the last decade or or even more. And so I think what we're seeing across the board as people uh, interact with digital products in financial services, they do want some kind of personalized experience. Explain this to me like I am 11, for example. Explain this to me um, in a way that will be easier to understand or to get across to my audience. And I think that's, is a key trend that we're seeing with AI uh, is really like hyper-personalization. And if you compare that with an excellent interface, you're able to unlock a consumer experience that's really undeniable a lot of the time. Um, So there's a bit of a chicken and egg there around the AI uh, or AI allowing for personalization and people expecting personalization and AI driving more personalization. (laughs) It's a little bit of a virtuous cycle that's
0: that's occurring. Bizarrely all of the technology parts aside of this is actually a return to kind of a level of experience that you would have expected before, right? You know, it's a, uh, I mean, I think we're probably all too young to be like the people who were queuing up to go and sort of talk to a man in a branch type thing. But actually the idea that they would break down financial terms for you for you to be able to understand it and you could go, what? And they would explain it further. You know, like actually, you know, really what we're getting is, More of a, you know, we talk about, we joke that the the future of financial services is services. Like it feels like the services is kind of coming back into it. Where to your point, the the level of uh, interrogation around those things in a positive way, or the the ability to have a, you know, a trusted advisor, you can admit you don't know what something is without being penalized for it. I mean that that can only be great for actually helping everybody you know get better at understanding these things and therefore be better off but uh, all right we're going to have to take a, a quick break what we're going to be doing though is uh, we're going to take a, a quick look at some of the specific use cases across fintech and finance and discuss really what the the future of financial services is where are we going with all of that much more after the break <laughs> Hello and welcome LFG people to Fintech Insider Watching Insider 11FS Spotlight 11FS Explores Open Mic Night After Dark Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global FinTech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from FinTech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11FS.com or visit 11FS.com to find out more.
3: Long live the community. We all know SMEs are the backbone of any economy, so why are they still so underserved? 67% of them globally say fighting for survival is their top challenge. It's time for financial services to put its cape on. At Eleven First Ventures, we're building, researching, strategizing, designing and engineering game-changing propositions with banks and fintechs to better serve the SME market. We've already helped RBS better serve small business owners and sole traders by bringing metal to life. So the question is, what do you want us to help make a reality for you? Let us know at alonefs.com slash ventures. That's alonefs.com slash
0: ventures. Welcome back to FinTech Insider Insights. We've been discussing how ChatGPT has been able to really Proliferate the last year. I mean, it just has been everywhere. From uh, I mean, uh, when you start seeing South Park do like proper, full-blown episodes just covering this as a topic, you know it's hit mainstream because that's uh, that's when taxi drivers are talking about it as much as uh, as much as everybody who really gets excited about it. But what we're going to start doing now is looking at applications in financial services. You know, we talked a little bit before the break about actually the level of interrogation, the level of uh, av- um, conversation you can actually get. Into in terms of explaining these things, but but I, I guess getting a little bit deeper into exactly the the benefits of AI in in banking and financial services. I mean, it feels like that customer service has been where a lot of people have have kind of started. We've seen people like Stripe partnering with ChatGPT4 to power all of its developer documentation. I mean, Chase, you touched a a little bit on if you can feed it the right information and allow it to be interrogated. I mean, that seems like a very good place to start, doesn't it? Back in my computing days, it was always the garbage in, garbage out kind of metaphor, right? Uh, And if you can feed it great information then actually you're probably going to get a better level of output on it right
2: yeah no definitely and i actually think one thing that's really cool uh about a lot of this new technology is it's opening up more time and space to create more human experiences and interactions beyond that that can personalize it even more right um we think about personalization in an automated manner, but it also opens up personalization for more humans who have unlocked more time, right? Being able to give customer support and to dive into more complex problems that may come up on a, on a daily basis is actually something that I think a lot of people would prefer, right? You talked a bunch earlier around, it's coming full circle from a services perspective, right? And I see customer support as a great example of that exact type of interaction that people are, are yearning for and how AI can actually empower uh, more human to human interaction in the in the future
0: yeah. I mean, Kay, you touched on the sort of level of personalization in the interfaces, but actually, I mean, I, I feel like the advent of the internet, everybody was promised this sort of personalized world of, you know, understanding your data and therefore everything was wrapped around you. But the reality hasn't really sort of, there's not many industries I can think of that being the case other than my Google ads, you know what I mean? Like that seems very personalized, but everything else, not so much. But I mean, is that, as Chase said, I mean, that that sort of is this the um, the equivalent of the the tailored suit for everybody in terms of actually how that works rather than it being just the, hey, here's the interface we thought would be good
2: for you?
3: I think we're heading in that direction. And I think that that is the expectation around where we could be in a couple of years time. It's just like hyper-personalized. Everybody has your own personal assistant um, that's able to do all these different tasks for you. Um, I think if we think about one year of ChatGPT and we look at what actually happened versus expectations, I think that some of the learnings at least that I've had and seen in the last year are that it's still very hard to build a safe, reliable, and robust uh, machine learning and AI system. And we are doing that with an emerging technology for which we actually sort of really fully understand the limitations. The potential is undoubtedly enormous, um, but there is emergent behavior that comes out of these models as we learn more and more about them and how they interact with the world and how they construct a world model. So I think we probably have the expectations pro- uh, that are that are definitely being driven by I think the potential that inherently exists in it, um, but I think people that are building in the background, and Anouk, I'm pretty sure you probably would agree with this, it's still really hard. And uh, I think the, the events of the last week also show that the environment in which we are building has its own risks. And there's a lot of uncertainties that we have to take into account. Um, there's been a big change in how people build over the last, say, two decades. We've moved from uh, on-premise to cloud computing, for example. A lot of companies have a massive dependency on the cloud computing infrastructure providers, for example. And we're seeing a similar trend with AI, where there are now a couple of players uh, that exist that are providing a lot of the AI kind of uh, heavy lifting, uh, which then applications are built on top of, which is, which is incredibly exciting for, for the space because we're seeing a, the advent of new technology and the rise of personalization and assistance in every aspect. But we are actually relatively new in this journey. So I would say expectations are great and like the potential that's driving these expectations around personalization is, is definitely founded. Uh, the reality of doing it is tough. We're still learning things. We're still trying things out. And so to come back to the customer support example, and, and I think why we've seen that as the first use case, it's because uh, what has happened in, and with ChatGPT in particular is that we have uh, large language models or generative AI models that are particularly well-trained or well-suited for conversational um, interfaces. And so when you think about in a company where that use case exists, everybody's first thought is customer service. That's often a a really big cost center um, and something uh, that businesses are looking to really help to manage. Um, And it fits really nicely as a use case. And maybe just a last point on this, when, you know, in thinking... uh, how can we use these new advances in technology? That is often the wrong question to ask. You should be thinking about what customer problems that you, you can be solving. But another way to think about it is, what tasks can these models do really well? Uh, and having a conversation uh, is one of them, along with content generation and, and content representation, for example.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Actually, in that, in that context of really where people will be coming out when they're looking at doing this. As you say, it's the... Uh, you know, you've seen many big organizations we touched on earlier on go, we need to do a thing in this. And it's like, why? Well, because our board are excited about it. And it's like, well, that's not the good enough reason, guys. You know, like, uh, and actually that doesn't generally lead to sort of sustained product investment in that way, does it? But uh, I mean, I guess sticking with you on, on that, Kate, to a certain degree, because again, you know, we're not talking about, you know, uh, cap pitches on the internet, we're talking about financial services, right? Like this is a this is a pretty complex place. The regulator gets quite upset if you can't evidence why you've interacted with the customer in a certain way. I mean, our, our chairman often jokes it's like uh, advent of digital in insurance, like he literally had to give every screen, every possible permutation to the regulator to prove how they were interacting. So like, you know, that fine line between what is adv- advice and what is guidance for regulators all around the world, they're like freaking out right now, aren't they? You know, in terms of like, why did you recommend this? I don't know. Like, uh, can you repeat it? Well, maybe with like exactly the same freaking Not, no, no, we can't, no. So it's like, actually, how do we how do we overcome that? Is that a uh, is that an education process within the regulators globally as much as it is the organizations themselves?
3: Yeah, great question. I think that there's maybe a two-pronged approach uh, that needs to happen here. One, when you work in the financial services, there are many things that you need to be aware of, one of them being regulation, uh, naturally. Um, but the way that you can start to test out these different technologies are to, are to find spaces within your products and organization that are are low cost if you get something wrong. So I would say don't start using these technologies um, and trying to completely overhaul and automate your risk decisioning process, which is highly regulated, but rather try and see what other problems can you solve? Are there other things that... Your employees, Are like the tools that you can build with for your employees to help them get mundane and repetitive tasks done more quickly? Is there something on the customer-facing product side uh, that could be low-cost in terms of uh, something going wrong, uh, you're not paying a big price for it, or you don't have a terrible customer experience? Is there somewhere effectively safe that you can experiment with these uh, models in your organization? And I think you have to be particularly strategic um, in financial services, and there's other sectors that need to take this, this strategic approach, such as healthcare, which is when a bad decision can have very, very bad consequences. And so I think a strategic approach in organizations is very much uh, the way to move. I've always, always recommend the the, uh, the crawl, walk, run approach. Do not try to automate somebody away. <laughs> uh, try and take small steps and learn before, uh, before investing into something where you don't know what the consequences could be.
0: I guess every big bank's transformation is usually predicated on taking people or paper or some or another P out of the process, isn't it? So so they've got bad form when it comes to that one, I guess, from the get-go, isn't it? Because it's, it's always about the ROI being cost-saving in some description rather than an advancement in the level of service or the experience that people are getting, isn't it?
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think you can think about it in, in two ways. And you should think about which are those uh, various, uh, you know, ways which is like cost saving or something that is more customer focused. You can look at both of those places um, for for innovation and choose uh, choose a safe place to start. I think regulators have been a little bit slow on this topic. I think they're probably also getting up to speed with what the implications are of this technology. I think that there should be an approach where regulators are working with companies uh, rather than uh, passing down regulation that could stifle innovation. I truly believe that AI can have massive benefits uh, for people, humanity, and our planet. And so we don't really want regulation to stifle that, but we do need to be careful, particularly in financial services, uh, customer data, privacy is really important and that should always be at the forefront of the regulatory intention. And I think striking that balance is tough, uh, but very necessary.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I always feel quite sorry for the regulators. Sorry is probably not the right word, but we'll come up with a better one as we go through, because it's like tail end of a global pandemic, money markets crashing everywhere, you know, cost of living challenges for consumers. And they've got to be like the smartest person in the room on every technology that's, uh, you know, evolving. It's, uh, it's a tough gig, in it, really, in uh, in today's day. But, uh, I mean, note sort of touching on that point around, uh, you know, security and privacy and, uh, you know, and, and, and data. I mean, a, l- a lot of big banking organizations are, are just kind of coming to grips with cloud, quite frankly. So, like, this is a you know, the idea that actually the infrastructure is being built and the applications that are being, you know, actually they're going to have lots of concerns around, well, what does that do and where does this data sit and who has you know, who own like, ah, you know, like, so, I mean, how, what would your advice be of uh, of navigating that?
1: Yeah, I think Gate made a lot of really good points when it came to, like, what sort of the low-hanging fruit cases that are very low risk for innovation? Although I do have to say, If you want to compete in five years you have to start applying ai in your core banking functions and yes that's really hard because of regulatory restrictions but on the other hand you will have to be able to compete at some point right and i think one of the issues when it comes to adoption in that field and specifically the privacy and security aspect of it is the data silos that a lot of these big financial institutions have their line of defense is usually putting data in various silos across an organization with their own product function, with their own business line, with their own product management sort of systems, which makes it really hard to connect adults. That's one of the challenges that they have, even moving it into the cloud because it's it's impossible getting like getting access to even a roadmap. Like I've been in situations in banking where, I, and I kid you not, I got an answer to an email saying, well, in two years' time, we might have time to be able to look at this. I mean, that in, in two years' time, the world might look very differently, right? And I, I understand where they're coming from, but I think that's where a CIO or a board really has to step in and say, okay, we're, we're going to engage in this conversation with the regulator. How can we make this possible? How can we partner with startups, and I think Microsoft is a really good example of how they partner with OpenAI to be able to actually be at the forefront of what's happening there. And I think that's where a lot of financial organizations fall short. Often the regulator is blamed for that. I think partly unfairly, because on the other hand, the, the regulator also gets heavily lobbied um, by banks and by very big tech companies that want to keep those regulations up. So they sit at a really technical, but also really hard sort of crossing point of startups and big corporates, um, consumer protection organizations, a governmental sort of policy and plans for the next few, four years, because there will be election coming up soon. So what can we score on very quickly, right? So... It, I think it's unfair to say that they're the ones stopping the innovation because the UK has a really good sandbox systems where AI startups have been going through. So it's really also that the industry itself is just unwilling to actually adopt and to make change and to partner, especially the partnering part there. It's, yeah, so it's a lot that has to change on their front, I would say.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's not just uh, customer adoption, it's uh, adoption of the organizations to actually put these things into practice at scale, isn't it? And that's, that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? To your point on the regulator, I've never found sort of a regulator that didn't want to end up with a better outcome for consumers. Like, that's sort of the point, right? That's what they're looking for. To achieve on the whole, and actually a lot of the things that your point around, uh, you know, the competition, actually the tension in the market to bring new players in often leads to a, bad, a much better outcome for for consumers than it would do if nothing happens. But I guess is this. Um Big organizations often look at these things like they're, I mean, I I know I fed into this earlier on with my universal soldier point, so I do apologize, but it's like sci-fi sort of metaphor, you know, like actually they're looking at it like a future, future thing. And it's not a future, future thing. It's like, actually, it's a future thing like cloud is, if you think about it that way. It's this, is this our conversation around actually... You know AI, or is this just a conversation around the tools that you use when you're building modern-day technology and operations? And I use the word operations really specifically because I often think people just think about the customer impact. I know we're all conditioned to it's like just think about the customer, but actually I think the employees of organisations has a bigger role to play than the customers do, because they're the people who actually build the thing for the customer. So, you know, often what you find in big organizations and, you know, Anouk, uh, you know, get the CIO and it's like, in big organizations, it's like, which one of the 70 CIOs is it that you have to regret to, you know, and it's like, wow, this is, this is crazy. But often, you know, getting, holding, you know, employees' arms behind their back to build capabilities You know, if you were starting a, uh, if we all were like, screw it, I'm I'm leaving 11FS, you guys are leaving where you are, we're going to go build a business, it's going to be a a fintech business. Okay, you're going to use cloud, you're going to use AI, you know, you're going to start from that point, because actually, it's just the, it's the toolbox, it's the toolkit that would lead to the most efficient, most effective, best outcome for you as a business, right? I I mean, Kate, is this... Is this a just a, rather than it being like, oh my God, it's a revolution and let's all flip the tables over and go crazy. Like this is just an evolution in the steps that we're taking with technology, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're seeing exactly that trend. You you, you can even, I think there is even a product that you can um, uh, use, which was basically like a bank in a box, uh, like banking as a service. It's really remarkable. There's there's so many uh, services now that you can use to get going uh, a lot quicker than what it used to be. Uh, you can uh, get access to uh, AI models really easily. You can get access to GPUs to compute power uh, really easily. We're really seeing the kind of democratization of these services really come down, and it's those are underlying technology trends that are also driving the kind of the pace of innovation at the same time. So starting a business now versus starting a business 10 years ago is very different. And I think it will look even more different in two years' time as these technologies are are exponential technologies uh, and we're kind of seeing the convergence of them come together and they enable each other. So it's a very different world uh, at the moment. And you starting, your starting gate is uh, it's very, it's much further down the racetrack than what it was 10 years ago.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating on that. Uh, and I guess it points to, and it'd be lovely to kind of get all of your views on this. I mean, it, it points to like, where are we going with this? You know, like, I, I don't mean like this conversation more broadly. I mean, like, where is financial services going? Because actually this sort of, I mean, Chase, I think you said, you know, automation earlier on, actually like the, the structure around automation is we sort of, we always get very picky about the difference between digitized and digital. And it's like, you know, digitized is just taking what was there before and, you know, making a digital version of it it's why we've got like websites that look like paper statements right but but really the virtues of digital is quite phenomenally different and the way in which you would actually engage with that is completely different right in terms of what you would what you would build right so but is this a, a sort of a direction of travel to to where you know like um I'd love love to get you. That was a, I'll be honest with you, that was like, a. here's my 15-minute presentation you can give on this, I imagine, (laughs) but like in five minutes or less. So like, where where do you think we're really getting to?
2: There was a a great quote from Jeff Bezos that was in an earnings call. I think it was in maybe 2018. And he said, one thing I love about customers is that they're divinely discontent. Their expectations are never static. They go up. It's human nature. And so I think we we also have a principle uh, that's what could go right. And I think tying those two things together, I think it's almost our duty to continue to to use a tool like AI to try and see if we can have you know positive, beneficial outcomes uh, that can help our customers or help us internally, operationally, and in, in terms of you know continuing to grow and evolve, um, you know as as humans, right, um, and and wherever we may be in the world, and you know what that looks like may change often, right, uh, and we may, you know, I. I think it's unfair to say I know where we're going to go. I would probably be wrong, but I can but I can say that I know that the use cases are going to continue to evolve and I know that if there is potential for exponential outcomes as it relates to people's ability to, you know, either in work or their ability to accomplish something and, you know, moving us forward, it, that's an initiative that's worth investing in. And I think that show that's shown a lot even through the last week and how much turmoil there was when you know Sam Altman was potentially going to leave uh, open AI and a lot of people stood up and said whoa, you know what you know what's going on why is this happening etc and that's because a lot of people are invested in this they know it's potential and you know I, I think we're all on a mission to try to do, do service to hey where can this take us
0: yeah, and and that's the exciting thing, isn't it? It has the potential to go uh, in pretty amazing directions. I, I mean, and what do you think? Where are we going to get to in this? What, what will be the overriding impact of, of AI in financial services?
1: Yeah, I think I'm quite optimistic because I think that uh, sometimes the popular narrative around this is that AI is going to replace your job. I think the reality is that During the industrial revolution, like 100, 150 years ago, they also thought that machines were going to replace humans and that there would be no more work. But in reality, it just optimized everyone's time. All of a sudden, people had a two-day weekend. I think we'll see the same thing now where, yeah, sure, AI can be a risk, but the upside is it will optimize our lives. You might have a two- or three-day work week in a couple of years, right, because you use AI to superpower yourself essentially. And that's this man versus machine or a man enhanced by machine narrative where if you use it in the right way, I think it will have an enormous impact in the world and likely so in financial services for the companies that actually caught up on it. Um, Because if you're not, you're going to be left behind. And quite frankly, I don't think you can catch up. And I think Kate made that statement earlier uh, in this conversation, that hyper personalization is only going to excel even more. And if you, if you, that's one of the examples. If you can't compete, then a consumer will go somewhere else where they can get that attention and where they can get that level of service and where someone does actually talk to them. And whether that's a deep fake or a real person. I really don't care I, as long as I'm being serviced instantly and my question is being answered well then I'll I'll be your client right i think yeah that customer focus is something that will really make yeah drive ai adoption across financial services
0: yeah i mean it's a fascinating point it's uh, the idea that uh, you know evolutions an option you know you don't have to do it you can not it's okay isn't it you know you can choose to just opt out from here you know but uh, uh, it's not a good one if you've got a huge amount of shareholders who uh, really want to see you survive the next uh, next decade but uh, kate going to leave the uh, last word with you i mean where does this all get to what's uh, what what's financial services looking like powered by and you know run by ai
3: yeah i think a bold a bold statement i would make on this one would be probably at the end of the decade um if you are not And AI enabled from your core as a financial service provider, you will likely be irrelevant. And I think that that is probably one of the reasons why boards and investors are pushing so hard for corporations to start integrating this into their tech stack because it provides such an incredible advantage to those companies who do have it. The people that work there can do significantly more with a lot less. So I think that we're pretty much going one direction. I think the paths to getting there will be numerous, but I think by the end of the decade, if you're not, uh, if you don't have AI at the core, you're probably going to be in a little bit of trouble. So I think that would be my bold prediction on that.
0: Very good, Is there gonna be a lot of people Pretty goddamn terrified by that, I imagine, who are still trying to work out their cloud strategy. But uh, we'll come back to that and another point. And if fact, you know what, end of the decade, let's get back together. Let's figure out if these predictions have actually uh, come true or not. I, I think for, for me, it's interesting. Like, I think the, I joked earlier on, the future of financial services is services, right? Actually... Can I teach everybody how to manage their financial services better or can I build services that do that stuff for them? And which one of those are they going to want? It's going to be the second one, isn't it? You know, nobody, us included, talking about this podcast, want to sit on a Sunday and go through our finances. But if there was things that could do that thing for us to make us better off, as Chase said earlier on, uh, that's going to be the ones that ultimately customers will will move towards in droves. So uh, I think that takes a a few shifts in regulation. I think it takes a few shifts in the business model of of financial services in terms of what they're there to achieve. Um, But ultimately, I think it leads to a a much better land for financial services, which is probably a a thing we can all agree on is probably going to be a good thing. So uh, that does unfortunately wrap up today's discussion, though. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people learn a little bit more about you and all the good stuff that you're doing? Uh, Anouk, starting with you.
1: Uh, well, we're in stealth mode, so I, uh, not anywhere at this you point. You can't find her <laughs> anywhere. She's <laughs> like at least not not the fintech I'm building. Uh, but Morantix on the website, you can always reach out to me via LinkedIn. Um, and we have lots of events, uh, AI-related events um, in Berlin, and we have a London pop-up now as well. So weekly AI related events there as well.
0: Very good. Uh, A a little bit less aloof, a little bit more public. Chase, where can people learn a little bit more about public?
2: Um, You can find us at public.com. Surprise. Um, If you're interested in our UK products, public.com UK or public.com slash alpha, although it's only available in the US for now. And uh, yeah feel free to find me on LinkedIn or Twitter as well.
0: Very good Kate, okay, where can people learn more?
3: Yeah well, to learn more about Clio, you can see uh, go to meetcleo.com uh, for our uh, US customers you can download our app. Uh, please do give it a go. Uh, it's clear uh, where you get your apps from and have a go. We'd love to hear your thoughts and you can find me Kate Jansen or Janssen, uh on
0: LinkedIn. Very cool. Uh, as for me you can always find me looking on LinkedIn these days. Uh, just search for David Breer thank you very much for listening everybody if you like what you heard then follow the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review it helps it make it better and helps other people find the show as well as always if you want to join the conversation just search for us on social media at this stage it's just 11FS or Fintech Insider we're pretty much everywhere at this point uh, or if you really want to you can email us on podcasts at 11 fscom thank you very much for listening everybody goodbye